This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was Disciple Maker, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Discipleship, and it was about how to create a disciple-making church culture. That's where the episode for today was recorded, and we wanted to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Stay the Course, which is about seven essential practices for disciple-making churches. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash rdn. That's discipleship.org slash rdn. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. This session was recorded in a large room, so thanks for bearing with us as some of the audio was affected by that setup. Here's what we're doing. We, in the last few series, it, you know, this, is, this uh, five-step process is meant to build on uh, there's these five components, and, it, and we've done it in such a way as to build. So if you haven't been here in the other sessions, then um, some of this is probably going to make sense to you. I know they've taped it. Uh, there's a lot of this in the books that we've written. Uh, the, in particular, uh, the, the stuff that uh, the wheel is in real-life discipleship, it, which explains it to a much greater detail. So if you want to know more about it, you can get it from that. But uh, I, I want you to remember a couple of things. The role uh, that we started with biblical foundation for relationship, that it's in relationship Jesus is the greatest disciple maker in the world. He did it in relationship. It's in relationship that you learn to be relational. Maturity in Christ is to love God and love others. So in an environment where you see loving God and loving others, you learn to love God and love others. So in relationship, you learn to be relational. Uh, Remember, we talked about intentional leadership. Your job is not just to, to, in order to have disciple making happen in a group, it's not just get a bunch of people together. And hang out. An intentional leader understands his role is to make disciple makers. But when you back up a a step as a pastor, your job isn't just to disciple people in a small group. It's your job to create a relational discipleship system by which you've raised up people who know how to raise up people. So we, we talked about that. We talked about organizational alignment. What does it look like to align your organization in such a way if, if, if church is like a factory and you put all the resources in the top, when it comes out on the conveyor belt, if it doesn't look like what you said you valued, then there's some sort of problem in the system somewhere, right? Uh, if, if you say you're about something and what you're producing isn't a, ma- a maturing disciple of Jesus Christ who can help others mature then there's something wrong about the way the system and the relationships within that system are built. And so we've been talking about all of this. We talked about a relational environment. We got more specific about how a relational environment makes disciples. This next session is going to take a little bit longer. That's why we, uh, we kicked Bob to the curb. Hi, Bob. We kicked you to the curb. <laughs> no, uh, there's a reason why... Uh, it's really difficult to explain this in a short period of time. But what I'm, what I'm to do is, remember in Intentional Leader, we talked about an intentional leader understands the game. They're able to assess where a person's at. 
and then they're able to create an environment for spiritual growth. I want to talk about this assessment piece. Remember, if you were here, you know that I, I talked about I can go into a wrestling room, whether college or high school, junior high, whatever. I can go in, sit there, and just watch, and I can tell who in the room is um, at that level. State quality, national quality, brand new wrestler. I can tell because I understand wrestling, I understand coaching just by watching. Do you understand? A basketball coach can watch a kid play basketball and they can see talent. They can see skill sets. They can see mistakes. They can go, okay, this is probably where that kid's at. Whatever it is, when you become familiar enough with playing and with coaching, you, you start to, to be able to assess weaknesses and strengths. And the goal of a coach, if he wants to build a system or a program, is to create kind of a, 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 a factory of people who go through the system, who work back in the system to create more, and you're spitting out these people that, that can wrestle, can coach. Your coaches are ex-wrestlers. Your coaches are now parents who are raising up kids, and pretty soon you've got this program that just, just you know, this is how programs and sports are built. When it comes to the church, we want to release into the church, people who understand the game can evaluate where somebody's at so that they can create the right environment for spiritual growth. So we created this wheel, and we did it as a team. This was actually a collaboration between Aaron Couch, uh, uh, Brandon Gindin, uh, bunches of us who were going, okay, if we're going to train people on how to make disciples, then we've got to come up with something they can get a hold of and grasp and and because a lot of what we did initially was very intuitive. We had a plan, but when you start to try to train people how to do it, you've got to do more than just be intuitive. That which is, that which is uh, un, uh, unintentional is unreproducible. So how would we explain it? So let me just share with you. If you look in your book, you see the, the, the wheel. And around the outside of the wheel, we, we kind of started with it like this. And I know you're not going to be able to see very well in the back, and I'm sorry about that. But we actually started asking this question. When you follow the life of Jesus, was there some sort of intentional process that, he, that you could go? He took people through it. And then when Jesus sent people out to make disciples, you know, he didn't say go do it any way you want. They actually followed this process they had learned. It was reproduced in the life of the disciples. And so that helped us even identify further how Jesus was, was intentional. So we went through and walked through the life of, of Jesus and the early church to discover a process. So we call this the SCMD process. That's an acronym, and I'll explain what it means. When Jesus comes on the scene, he shared who he was. We like the word share because it's more relational. He, he, he shared who he was by what he said, by how he lived, by what he did for others. He shared the truth about who he was. Those who accepted the message, he invited into relationship and he connected with them. S-C, shared. Those who said, yep, he invited into relationship, to connection. In that connection... He modeled, walked with them. They would ask him questions. He would answer those questions. He would preach. They would come and say, what in the world did you mean? 
Then he would explain. He would uh, replace what they thought they knew. He, had, he would say, you've heard it said, but I tell you, right? He would, he would connect, and in that connection, he was really modeling, teaching, all of those things, right? But as you watch him, he's moving them from just connecting with him to doing something. He's training them for ministry. For ministry. So share, connect, ministry. Training them for ministry. At first it was uh, pick up the loaves and fishes. Gather people into crowds of 50. Go here, go do that. Before long, though, it's send them out by twos. Bring them back. Let's debrief. Later on, send them out by twos again. Bring them back. He's giving them opportunities to start living out what they were watching him do. Finally, in Acts 28, excuse me, Matthew 28, he sends them out to make disciples. He says, now go and do it. Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Right? SCMD. Now, let's go to the early church. Acts 2. Peter gets up with the apostles. And he preaches that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That he had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. He shared who Jesus was. The people, when they were pierced to the heart, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? Right? Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So you're starting, and then it goes right into Acts 2.42. So he shared who he was. Acts 2.42, all the believers had everything in common. They met together in the temple courts and from house to house. They connected In relationship. What was going on in that relationship? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They sold their possessions and goods to give to whoever had need. What were they doing? They were connecting. You go to Acts chapter 6. There's a problem in the early church. Do you remember what the problem was? The Greek widows are not being cared for. They said, hey, we're not going to quit preaching and praying and teaching. Choose seven men. From among you that are filled with the Holy Spirit. They laid their hands on them. What's going on here? Philip, Stephen, the rest of the seven. They are now doing ministry. Taking care of people. Eventually, there's a persecution. Stephen is killed. Where does Philip go? To Samaria. What does he do in Samaria? He makes disciples. Share, connect, train for ministry. Make disciples. Sends them out. Paul with Timothy. Shared who Jesus was. Connected with Timothy. Trained up Timothy. Where did he send Timothy? Titus, the rest of the guys. You see? Train up reliable men who are able to teach others. There's this process that Jesus took his disciples through. So we call this the SCMD process. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you think that people in your church know they're supposed to share Christ with people? Do you think that the people in your church know that they're actually supposed to connect in relationship with those they shared with? 
Do you think the people in your church know that they actually are supposed to be training people for ministry? And do you think people in your church who have been doing ministry actually believe they can go and make disciples? Now, I would say this. Most people who have given their life to Jesus uh, in America have, have uh, they heard the message of Jesus and they said, what do we do? And they said, let's pray the prayer. Less than 20% of Americans are in any kind of Bible study or small group of American Christians in the country. So there was no connection. What is it? They say 10 to 15% of American Christians serve in any way. There was no training for ministry. Thomas Rainer wrote a book that says that... Uh, there are so few Christians that actually share their faith that, that non-Christians are actually asking, do you not like us? You just want us to go to hell? Does this make sense to you? Do you think, what's the percentage of people in your church that they may, I'm not talking about who would agree or disagree or want to be a part of the process. Do they even know there is a process at all? Have they ever even been told they were supposed to connect? Or is that just optional for if you really want to? Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay, so SCMD is what we call it. There is a process. For those of you who get saved, you're, you're, you're surrendering to the Lord Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus and you're going to connect with other believers who are going to help you. No, Jesus. And guess what? You were saved by grace through faith for good works, which God planned for you to do before time began. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You're a minister. You have been, gifts, have been given gifts, and you were saved for a purpose, and you are, in order for you to really experience God, you have to surrender to God and start to become a minister rather than a taker. You're, a, you're to be a contributor. And you're supposed, if you're a parent, you know, you're supposed to be a disciple maker. You're not just supposed to bring them to the youth group so the youth minister can do it. Well, I don't know how to disciple. I've never been discipled. You're right, because all you were ever told is get baptized and come to church when you get a, get a chance. Do you see the failure? Again, I'm okay with... I got people who I explain this process to. They go, ah, no. Well, I'm not a failure. They just chose to rebel. God's part, my part, their part. But if I haven't explained this is what it means to be a disciple at all, now we got a problem. All right, now, let me show you what we've done. We created... Uh, together, just from looking to Scripture. By the way, in my opinion, this is all scriptural. Okay? We didn't create it. It's just there. This is how the early church functioned. Okay? We didn't create this either. We just identified it, and, and uh, that's the inside of it. No, I want you to notice that there's an inside of the wheel. If you were to take this, by the way, and turn it into a circle, you know... S-C-M-D. That's what we did on your, on your notes there. There's an inner circle, though, 
that talks about what we call the stages of spiritual growth. And there are, we actually have five stages of spiritual growth, but this conference took our material and added an extra stage. And I actually like that they did that because I think that's true. But here's the five stages of spiritual growth. Dead, infant, child, young adult, parent, grandparent. Okay? We use in family terms. When, when you got saved, you became a part of the family of God. Just as an infant is born, they're supposed to be ministered to and grow with a family. So it is when you're born again in the spiritual world. You become, no matter how intelligent you are, how good you are, you're an infant. You went from dead to infant. So let me just, uh, if you go through spirit, uh, scripturally, uh, Ephesians 2 says, We were all by nature objects of God's wrath. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. So stage one is dead. Okay? Everyone starts out dead. Would you all agree with that? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? Then you're born again. By by grace through faith. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven, let alone enter it. You become an infant. By the way, is there any place in Scripture where you can see Paul talking about you ought to be mature by now, but instead you are mere infants in Christ? This is language that he uses, isn't it? If you go to 1 John, he says, I say to you, young children, you children, I say to you, young men, I say to you, fathers. He's not just talking to men at this point. He's talking about stages of spiritual growth. Okay, so... We have infants, we have children, we have young adults, we have parents, and then we have grandparents, which is, I don't, I don't think it's in that model that we use grandparents. Okay, so I'm all good with that. Just understand that I love the collaborations happening with discipleship.org and with our partner churches, where they come up with something better than we had that's more complete. I like that. But I just want you to understand where we're coming from, Okay. As you look at this, what we try to do is go, all right, if my job is to share Christ, by the way, when we say share Christ, we, we, that word share, we also share our lives. In relationship, we share our lives so that we can share Christ. Who do I share my life in Christ with? Well, the dead. In fact, you see the outer ring where it says share, then it's got little subcategories, and underneath, dead. See it in there? It's explained better in the book, and I, it's hard for me to do it this way. I hope you catch it. I share my life with the dead. Now, one of the things that we do is we, we use what's called the phrase from the stage. In other words, the Bible says out of the overflow of the mouth, of the, of the mouth, the heart, or excuse me, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So what we, we say is, you know where a person's at based on what they do and what they say. So we teach people, this is why it's so important that you don't just teach at people, but you ask questions. Because you, like some of you right now, I, I'm talking and you're, I, love, I love your response of listening. You're shaking your head, right? People will be shaking their head in your church and you think they know what you mean, but they often don't. Would you agree? 
That's why people can say, well, I took a class, therefore I must be spiritually mature because I got my doctorate in theology. Just because you can answer yes and no questions and no facts doesn't mean you're mature. I want to know in in our groups, when I lead, I want to tell a story about Jesus. And then I want to ask, tell me how you take that. Tell me which I want to get to know what's going on inside of your heart so that I can hear where you're at. Remember, an intentional leader understands the game, evaluates where a player's at. In wrestling, I can watch you wrestle. But if all I do is sit you in a class, I can't really watch or know how you're taking what I'm saying. Let me give you an example of that. I preached a sermon once on God hates divorce. God does hate divorce. I couldn't hit every nuance of that subject. Afterwards, I had this lady walk up to me in the foyer, and she's crying. She says, Jim, I got it. I need to go back to my husband. Something prompted, the Holy Spirit prompted me. I said, would you tell me why you left your husband? She said, because he was molesting my daughters. No, no, you're not going back to your husband right now. No. Now, was I teaching the truth about God hates divorce? How did she take what I had said? That there's no nuance to that. How would I have known if I hadn't have asked? See, that's the problem. How often do we preach sermons that we can't deal with everybody's individual issues and we, we're like, you and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God go figure it out. That's not God's plan. We're supposed to do this with each other so I can help process how to properly apply what we're talking about to your life. This is the importance of doing life with people. So... Who do I share with? The dead. What is, we, we teach our people that your job is to act. We want to reproduce parents and grandparents in the church. So I'm going to help you understand the process. I'm going to help you understand the stages of spiritual growth. I'm going to help you understand how to know where a person's at. So we ask this question. What kinds of things does a dead person say? Spiritually dead person say. Spiritually dead person say. Uh, well, there's many ways to lead to heaven. There isn't a God. Well, I believe in God, but, you know, I don't think there's an absolute right and wrong. Well, I don't think there's a trinity. Right? These are the kinds of things. So by asking questions, saying, tell me your story, I'm starting to pick up where you're at. A dead person, once I get to know you, a dead person would say things like that. So now I need to share my life, my story with them, and share the truth with them about Jesus. I'm trying to help people evaluate where their friends and family are. Where they're, you see what I'm saying? An infant. If somebody gets born again, what are the characteristics of an infant? By the way, what's the characteristic of a dead person? Unbelief. Ignorance or unbelief. Ignorance or unbelief. They don't know what the word says. Or they don't believe it. What are the characteristics of an infant? Ignorance. They're saved, but they have no idea what the Bible actually says. Not long ago, or well, it's been several years by now, but I remember I had this lady come up to me and go, hey, uh, my, my, uh, my, was it her niece or her granddaughter had a, a baby? And this baby looks just like her grandmother. 
And she goes, hey, I got a question. Do you think this grandbaby is a reincarnation of my grandmother? Okay, that question reveals something. What do you think she is? Could be dead. Could be infant. I said, let me ask you a question. Uh, how long have you been coming to church? Oh, maybe six weeks. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you decided Jesus is the Son of God? Have you surrendered to your life to Him? Yes. What do you believe the Bible? The Bible is true. So what you're saying is you believe this, but you have no idea what the Bible actually says about this. Right. Infant. Question. Do you have a spiritual family? Are you connected? Well, no. So the... She came up, had the guts to ask me, but she's not connected. What do I know? Come back up here to this. Where does she need? Spiritual family. So she can learn these things. So I, I, I introduced her to a group leader who then took her under the wing. So now she has, I'll answer the question. Scripture says you're going to live once and face judgment. But now you've you, you got all kinds of questions, don't you? you? You were born again. You need a spiritual family. Oh, oh okay, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. Children. Characteristic. What's a characteristic of a child? Well, they can be cute and cuddly and they understand the language, but they usually do the right thing as long as they get what they want. <laughs> Somebody will say to me, I love my church. I love my, my small group. Do not branch my small group. What's the key word in every... I, I don't like this music at all, and I didn't get anything from the sermon. I didn't, I didn't, I served, and nobody appreciated me. What, what, what's the key word and all that? Sad thing is, many of you guys have leaders in your church who are children. By the way, a, I, I, there's tons of, the problem with a pastor who's a child is it's really hard for the rest of the people to grow past the pastor. And a, and a childish pastor will say, it's my pulpit. I have to use my gifts that's a player mentality. You see what I'm saying? And when you go, well, the people love my gifts and they love it when I preach and they don't love it when anybody else preaches. So you're just going to give the snotty kids in the, in, in the back of the... You're just going to give them what they want. I'm not saying you shouldn't preach and use your gifts. I'm saying your job is to grow people up to where they start thinking about others. They start to become ministers rather than takers. What does, a, what does a young adult say? A young adult, spiritually, is a person who is extremely idealistic. If you do this, I mean, these Christians ought to share more about Jesus, and they're, and they're zealous. They're ready to get after it. They want to do something. They're done sitting around. They, wanna, they want some independence. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would say most pastors in America are young adults. They aren't reproducing children, but they are really good babysitters. Why do I say that? 90% of churches in America are 90 or less. You want to know why? Because that's all that guy can take care of. Because his mentality is to be a really good babysitter. He's not reproducing leaders who can reproduce leaders. He's a babysitter. Making sense to you? Yeah. They think in terms of what they can do. They gotta go to the hospital. They gotta, they gotta do this. They gotta babysit. 
Instead of, my job is to raise up leaders. And the more leaders you reproduce, who can reproduce, the bigger your church is going to get, the more out of control it's going to be for you. But if you've raised up people who can raise up people, people are going to get saved and grow and be ministered to. All right? So my question is, who do I, who, who do I share with? The dead, I'll share my life with an infant, but I'm going to help get them connected. Who do I connect with? Infants and children. Who do I start to train to minister? Young adults. Young adults. Who do I send out to make disciples? Parents. What's, what does a parent think? I'll, I'll give you an example. A parent, uh, think of it this way. When my son, I have a son, I have two sons going into the ministry right now. When my son gave his first message in front of our church, here's what I was thinking. Man, I am not getting to use my gifts at all right now. This really stinks. And, you know, these people probably aren't liking it because it's not me. And, you know, what was I thinking as a parent? This is the greatest moment of my life. See, parents get so excited when their kids grow. When their kids are being used. And, 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 and when, a kid, when a parent sees a kid make a mistake and tries, they go, it's all right, get it, let's try again. Good job, you're trying, good job. You learn through mistakes, it's okay. And anybody who, uh, you, you have no problem saying, hey, you probably need to knock that off, but if somebody else comes, mama bear, papa bear come in and go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> He's trying. Are you getting my... See, what we're trying to do is help people understand the different stages of spiritual growth so that they can see the overall picture. Now, not so that I can go, well, he's just a child. So we can categorize or pigeonhole people into rules. You know, you're a child. You're just being a child. No. Yes, people have to go through these stages. By the way, in these stages, is there any one of these stages that are any better than the other? Do you love them all the same? I mean, they might be better functionally, but do you love them all the same? Yes. You do know that an infant has to be an infant. There's nothing wrong with being an infant if you're an infant. Right. The problem is when you're an adult and you act like an infant. Right. Right. And by the way, all of us, I told you this in the last session, I, I consider myself a grandparent. I have tons of people I've discipled that are discipling people. But I actually said to my wife last week, you started it. <laughs> which means that I can find myself acting like a child pretty fast. Anybody else in here? But when you're, when you, when you're in a, a grandparent or a parent and you're acting like a child, you go, I'm acting like a child. Right. And that's not okay. When you're a child and you're acting like a child, you think you're a parent. <laughs> you, you justify it. So here's what we're trying to do. I mean, this, is, I, this isn't as clear as I would like with you people all the way back there. And we don't have the material and the, the way we'd normally do this. But I want you to get a picture of this. This SCMD is a process that we believe every Christian ought to understand. That your goal is to grow up and be a disciple maker. If you, it, let me say it this way. If you are a human being and you're healthy within your DNA and your physical body, if you grow up healthy, you will become a parent. 
Right? Every infant has within them the ability to become a parent. They just don't know that. They were told just sit down and let somebody else do it. Which is why you don't have a spiritual army released out there. You have people just gathering and they still think they're a kid. And they think that's okay. That's all you're supposed to be. We want to raise up and release an army of people. Think about it this way. What happens if I had 12 people who were parents, disciple makers, grandparents? What would happen if I had 12 of those? Pretty soon we'd have how many people? And then that 12 turned into 24. How many do we have then? See, what most churches will do, and they're right, within a huge crowd, you have dead infant children, young adult, and parents, and they try to hit it all this in, in one setting. How are you going to do that? Which is why what happens on the weekend is a part of the process, but it will never be the process as a whole, because you yes. have people from a variety of different areas that need to be parented, coached, connected. You've got to get out of the going to church mentality into the discipleship mentality. And the more people in your church who, are, who understand how to see where, understand the game as a whole, see where a person's at, help them grow up to the next level, the more of those that you have, the more people you are spilling into your auditorium and into everything you do into your community who understand how to reproduce and disciple makers, as you concentrate on helping people be better parents and grandparents, you're going to have better children who are becoming parents and grandparents and you have a multiplication process. You guys all right? All right. Good job, Jim. Thank you. Would you give Jim a hand? All right, Brandon Gindin. Come on down. Forward or up. You want to use the whiteboard, Brandon? You want to use now? I'm not sure what happened on the whiteboard. I don't know. Somebody died. Look at that. No, I'm not. Okay. So, Brandon, as a new church planter, you're a year old church plant. What would you share on this disciple making process that you would want to share? I think the starting point would be um, when we look in scripture, um, one of my favorite places, I mentioned this the last, uh, our last session, was in 1 Thessalonians, we see Paul say something in chapter 1, I think, that is really, really critical. And when we go to different conferences, I've talked to several church planners today, there is such a hunger to, to find kind of this this blue pill solution let's this quick fix how do we do this and 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 the heart behind it is i get it we want to succeed and do well but when you look in first thessalonians paul's writing to the church in thessalonica that was facing incredible persecution but he makes a statement he says in there essentially that you have become the model church to all of the entire region and he says to them, he says, you have imitated me and you have uh, essentially continued to walk out these things that we imitated for you. And because of that, you have become the model church. And when you go into the life of Paul, he spent time watching Barnabas and they, 
the, the process was happening and, and they were learning it by watching and they had learned it from, from the 12 that had spent time with Jesus. And, and we get caught up so much today in trying to innovate. Yes. And I would say we need to imitate. Amen. Let's quit trying to innovate new things and come up with new Fandango ideas and just imitate something old. In this process that we're talking about, all we tried to do, and so every single time for the last 15 years, I see that wheel up, up on a, a, in a graphic. All we tried to do was, was to put language and words to the process that we see in the New Testament. Yeah. It's simply a tool. It's a tool to use for us to look at and go, how do we simply imitate what Jesus did? So in the new church plant, I do, I have all different guys with all these different new ideas. And, and I'm constantly pushing back and saying, no, we don't have to get that creative. Let's just do what the scripture says and not complicate it and fight for that. So when you see this process, I would challenge all of you to ask yourselves, do we have a process at all? Do I have uh, anything that I could teach with my, to my small group leaders, give to them to help them understand two very simple questions? One, where am I at in the process? And where is the person I'm discipling in the process? When you follow the life of Christ, he so often answers questions with questions. Jesus was the greatest question asker of all time. And if we would simply learn and and perfect as best we can, if you can perfect it, probably not, the the best that we can at being a disciple maker ourselves and helping people through the process. In order to do that, you have to have one. A clear process for your leaders to know and understand. So whether you ever use what we've put out or whatever, but you need to have one. Just like the definition of a disciple. You have to have a clear definition. You have to know what you're shooting for, pointing people to. And kind of the last part of this, and I, I really, really want us to, before you leave today, that you hone in on this whole thing, that is that none of this happens if you yourselves are not personally living it out. Yes. If you're not committed to the process. Because it doesn't matter what you train small I just had this conversation out, outside the doors a few minutes ago. You cannot pass on something to somebody you don't have. And it doesn't matter if we put it into a chart if I've never lived it out. So within the church plant, we have to live it out. We have to talk about it and, and, and keep it in front of people all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So for you guys, all of us, when we're looking about a reproducible process, stop and look and go, one, am I living one out? Am I reproducing this in someone else? And can we identify it? Can we pass it on? Jim's given you a lot of great language today, and there's a lot of great resources on that. And again, whether you use ours or someone else's, make sure that you have one. And then finally, this, this is critical. In small groups, that, that environment works. We've talked a ton about that. That environment works because that's where I can see and hear and listen to what people are, where they're at and where they're processing the information. That's why all small groups are as a vehicle for this, for this to happen. But whether it be the process or the vehicle, we can never put our crosshairs on that's the win. The win is not just get people in small group. 
The win is not have a great process. Both those things are critical. The win at the end of the day is disciples who can make disciples. That's what we keep our crosshairs on. That's the win. So many times in the church we go, wow, I had a thousand people or I had a hundred people or whatever the number is in small group this week. Great. Are your people moving to spiritual maturity and becoming disciple makers? That's the win. And that doesn't happen without a very clear and intentional process. Okay? All right, Luke. Yeah. All right. Brandon, thank you. Can we give a round of applause for Brandon? What are some things that stood out to you that they said that was like, aha, that's, that's, that's a good thought, good, good concept, good, a good something, some aha. What was it? Uh, every infant can become a parent. Yes. Excellent. Keep going. Yes, back there. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. No, have, have a process and, uh, and, and just walk out the process. Jesus gave us a process. Keep it simple. Yep. Awesome. Keep going. What else? Ah, yes. <laughs> Babysitters do not reproduce leaders. How many of you were in here when I shared my story in session two? Raise your hand. Okay. Quite a few. Okay. There was a piece, we had a few questions that got asked on this topic. Where does learning of the Bible and these Bible classes and studies and deep studies, where does that take place? In my journey, when I came to know the Lord and I was an infant and child, I I was going to the guy that led me to the Lord to get a lot of my questions answered. Okay, Some of the stuff that Jim was saying from the podium, I did not understand. and I didn't want to try to find him, a guy I didn't know, and ask. So I asked my home group leader. I asked my home group leader a lot of questions. At some point, I started to get curious about what the Bible was saying. For me personally, it wasn't instantly. Like I was just drawn. I just wanted to read day and night. That did not happen for me instantly. But it did happen for me somewhere in that child stage. I started feeding myself. I started reading. Then I wanted to go to the classes. We have a lot of classes on Sunday. We have some deep Bible studies on Sunday, right? So if somebody shows up at a home group and says, "Ah, I want a deep, deep, deep Bible study, we have that. Well, from the biblical education side, it's really nice when your students want to learn. Yes. Make a big difference, right? This process, I wanted to learn. And so that self-feeding and hunger happens in this process. All right. One last couple takeaways. Who else? A couple more takeaways. Yes, yes, this is a process just to identify, not categorize and label. It's just a tool to understand what do we do? What do we do when they're at this stage? Yes, excellent. All right, on your tables, three by five cards, what are some questions you have specifically on this uh, disciple-making process? And when you fill out a card, hold it up, we'll get about 10, 15, 20 cards. Jason or Luke back there, another Luke, strong name. Uh, grab, grab, uh, Grab these cards. And just bring them up when you can, Luke, if you would. 
why they're gathering. Uh, here's a question for you. Brandon, how much discipleship did we show Jim on the skeet range? On the, on the... A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. During that. <laughs> Full discipleship took place on the trap shooting or skeet shooting. All right. Here's a card right there. <laughs> I'm never going to let you live that down. <laughs> okay, here's a question. Um, inside, of a, inside of a small group, this is a common question. Inside of a small group, um, how do you know what to do with who? And, and give us some examples of what that might look like. The, the first part, again, we've used this term, this concept many times. <clears throat> is staying curious um, with those in your group, what God's doing with them. So asking questions about what God might be doing in their life helps bring out some of these answers. And staying in that place and then hearing where they are at um, with whatever the topic or the subject is. And listening, that always will tell you, again, where, where they need, what do they need. Do they need to understand that on a deeper level? Or are they completely off base? Or are they just missing the, the whole theological issue behind that? Where are they at? And so one of the things that I've learned is to be very attentive to the point of I'm listening to be curious. I'm not necessarily listening just to expound my information, to just tell them here's all the answers. In fact, I would much rather not tell them the answer and allow them to go discover it, challenge them to go learn it. Now, if they are truly, truly stuck, then I might help them. But being able to listen and ask questions and know where they're at in the process and challenging them to go read, to go, to grow. It's like Luke was saying. Luke wanted to learn. He was at a place to where he wanted to go find the answers because his leader did a good job at bringing him along and not just completely spoon-feeding him. And, and sometimes being a, being a leader or a, or a teacher or whatever, we want to tell everybody our great knowledge and wisdom that we have and actually, if you really want to get transparent and ugly about it, sometimes discipleship is about fulfilling our own needs. And that's not healthy. That we need to be able to step into the background a little bit and allow the Lord to work and the Holy Spirit to be the teacher. And our job is simply to facilitate and to help them grow and to challenge them and let them journey with the Lord rather than us just telling them all of our Bible information. And I think that's a critical a part of that within small group and doing that well and in a healthy way. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I like to do in the group, too, is I, I think you, you grow by teaching. And um, let's say that I've got a, a everybody's different in my group. Right, trying to figure out where they are. One of the things I do with my apprentices is I'll, our people in my group tend to sit in the same chair. So I'll put a piece, you know, I'll kind of draw my class, my, my uh, excuse me, my uh, house, and then I'll, I'll say, who sits here usually? And they'll say, it's uh, John and Cindy. Okay, where do you think John is spiritually? Uh, I think he's a child. Why do you say that? I want to know, do they see things that way, and do they have an accurate assessment of it? Secondly, I use the four spheres. Okay, where do you think John is as a husband and father? 
I think he's he's a child because of this, this, and this. What do you where do you think he is in his role in the church? I think he's probably more mature than that. Because again, you're not the same in every area of your life, right? I mean, there's areas where you are more mature than you are in other areas. All right, so the next thing I'll teach my apprentice is your job is to, to take the responsibility for each of these. Who do we have? This guy's a child in the faith. Who in our group, it, when it comes to uh, a parenting and husband, who do we have in this group that's pretty mature in that? Well, uh, Tony and Disa. All right, let's ask Tony and Disa if they'd be interested in taking them to dinner and talking about this subject. Now, what am I doing? I'm facilitating discipleship and people's abilities within the group. These guys are spiritual young adults overall, but pretty mature in their marriage. These guys are immature here. Now I'm connecting these two to one another in relationship. I'm facilitating relationships. Not everybody is, I'm not discipling every one of them. Do you understand? Yeah. Or if I have a woman who's really mature, with a brand new woman in the faith, I will put those two together. Then I will say, how'd that go? Well, I, I didn't know what to do. Well, I've got a book for you to read. Or let me give you some scripture to read. You see, I'm facilitating this here. Every, the whole group is growing because they're interacting, using their abilities, connecting to one another. Which then says, when they're having a problem, I don't get 17 calls from 17 different people in the group. They're actually calling each other. They're going to dinner with each other. I'm facilitating family here. Does this make sense to you? It does. When Ronnie came to my uh, life group, do you remember the life group? And remember you said these people know each other and they're just throwing their stuff on the table. You remember? It, well, they did because they'd done all kinds of stuff together outside of the group. It wasn't just the group. They actually know each other. They know each other's stuff. Because that was facilitated. It's not just me. Everything happening in one hour and I'm the key to all of it. Yeah. Make sense to you? Yeah. Yes. All these questions are good. I want to get to all these if we can. These are amazing questions. Um, how do you have the conversation with someone who doesn't believe that every Christian ought to be you know, become a disciple maker? For example, their theology might be, that's not my gift. What about the other gifts? You know, what about the ministry of the poor, the lost, the hungry? I don't have that gift of disciple making. What does that conversation look like? <laughs> Well, if I, if I understand it right, I think at the heart of the, the question is, is, is approaching discipleship as a gift. It's not a gift. Um, discipleship, I think in its purest, truest sense, is one believer walking with one or two or three other believers and helping them. Uh, align their lives to the Word of God and growing closer to Jesus Christ, um, helping them live less in the flesh and more in the Spirit, and challenging false beliefs and all the things that Jesus did with the Twelve. Um, it's not a gift. It's a calling and a mission. Within the calling and mission, those things happen. Some of us have certain gifts or bent towards one thing or another 
Um, there are needs that rise up that the church handles as a whole um, and all of those things. But discipleship at its core is not a gift, and that's kind of where that would break down. Yeah, that, this, that's a great conversation to have. I'm glad somebody's having that with them because obviously they took a sermon and completely misunderstood what the Bible actually says on the subject. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? There's the gift of evangelism, which is different than evangelizing. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And what usually people do is they take this language of gifting to hide behind doing it, to keep away from doing anything that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. They go, since it makes me uncomfortable, it's not my gift. So cross-bearing is not something that's, you know, yes. it's not my gift. I don't have the gift of giving, so I won't tithe. Right. You know, so there's, this is the kind of conversation you want to have. But again, they usually came up with that perspective. I don't know any real Christian teacher that, that I could point to that says that, that even believes that. But there's a whole bunch of people who do, which means they took a part of a sermon or something they read themselves without discipleship and came up with a false theology, which makes my point. So. This one is, uh, you guys have done a great job explaining the purpose of the, the small groups. Now, what's the purpose of the Sunday, uh, big Sunday church service, and how does that fit into things? Into disciple making. <clears throat> Um, one of the things I learned from my brother um, is an important part of Sunday morning. He uses the term, it's the watering hole. Um, I love that term. I teach that with, with my guys. It's the opportunity for everybody to come together and to walk around and to see our people. How are they doing? To look people in their eyes, ask them questions, look for our leaders, um, and to be able to find out some of the spiritual health issues that might be going on within the flock. The other part of it is, is it, it is an opportunity for those that are in the, the community to come to a location to be able to connect into the greater body. Still, even though the younger, the millennial generations, and, and I know some of that would prefer smaller environments, some of them are being small group first, but there's people will still come to a Sunday morning. The secular world will still go to church on Christmas, Christmas Eve and Easter, right? A lot of them still will. So having that, the building, the, the, the show, if you will, is a, is a critical part of disciple making. It's a top of the funnel. It allows us to bring people in to help them connect um, on a deeper level. And it's also, it is, a part of it is to teach the word of God. To be able to vision cast and talk about, talk about all these things that we're talking about and give perspective on it. To teach what the Word of God says, because most people don't know to what exactly what we're talking about, so they're hearing it for the first time, and so it does play an important part. It's not about throw it out and abandon it. Abandon. It. I was just talking with some in the back about the house church movement. Those things are great, but it's also this tendency. Well, because big church hasn't done it right, we don't want to do church at all. So let's just meet in the home, and that's it. Well, that's not necessarily right either. It's not an either or. It's let's do both things really well, just like the early church did. Let's do it well and have a great purpose for it and be intentional with it with your Sunday morning. Measure the success of the process. How many people are we helping move through the process from Sunday morning instead of just results? What was our attendance? Well, that's fine. 
But did you connect anybody on Sunday morning? Did anybody get into groups? Did anybody connect into ministry any further? Versus just straight up measuring attendance. Is, is... There, in my opinion, um, the tendency for human beings is to gravitate towards what makes them comfortable and happy and away from anything that doesn't. And so then they'll build theology and boxes around what they like and act like anybody who doesn't like what they like is unspiritual. Yeah. Instead of recognizing that there are many different aspects to church and some are going to like some and some are going to like others and we don't want you to avoid the ones you don't like and go towards the one you do like. Part of this whole process of spiritual maturity is dying to self and caring about the interests of others. Um, I think it's a child that always asks the question, what do I like? So for me, there's certain parts of the church that happen best in large numbers. There is certainly more power financially when we come together to do certain things. There is more power in small groups to do certain things than in big things, relationally. There is, there is um, there's a... Uh, the weekend service, there's certain things, worshiping together in large numbers and hearing, you only have so many, you have a lot of people who can teach, but then you have excellent teachers and there isn't as many of those. And there's an aspect of that that can happen on Sunday morning that makes it easier for the less gifted in teaching to unpack what was already said rather than have to teach and communicate what was already said. You use different gifts and abilities and you put them all together and it becomes the body. Yeah. yeah. And so there are certain things that happen in big church that don't happen in little church. Little things that happen in little church. Ralph Moore calls it the mini church. We call it a life group. Some of you call it cell groups. There's certain things. You put it all together, we're tied together. And we're not criticizing the part that we don't like. In fact, we're even willing to die to that because other people do like it. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not, not every part of the church is something I get something from. I go, I may not like weekend services because there's so many people and they freak me out, but I will go because I can serve in the children's ministry because somebody for the first time is going to come and their parents going to get to hear that. I mean, you, you start to, it's a place to serve. Yeah. It's a place to worship. It's a place to, to meet people, to talk to people. The watering hole analogy goes like this for me. Um, I believe that there's some interaction that you need with, spiritual, with, with Christians every day. Where do I get that from? My life verse is in Hebrews chapter 3. See to it, my brothers, that none of you gets a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily so that your hearts will not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That word encourage can mean to admonish or exhort. How often? Daily. Why daily? If the Holy Spirit tells us we need something daily, then there's probably something about us He knows because He created us. <laughs> I'll tell you why daily. Because I can get jacked up in a minute. And so can you. Now, does church have to look the same every single day? No, there's some sort of spiritual interaction. And the weekend service is another form of interaction that I may not even be my favorite. But it plays a part. And it, it definitely plays a part for other people who are shaped differently than me. And I care about that too. Yeah. And... The watering hole is, it uses this as a, an analogy. I want you to imagine, I think I used this in church as a team sport, where uh, I have a guy who is in Israel, and uh, there's one watering hole. He, he's an old archaeologist, old teacher, and, there, and he came over the top of this hill, and he saw these sheep, and they were all around this watering hole. 
and um, and so they're all. He thinks it's one big flock, and then um, one of the guys starts making this weird noise, and he just starts walking away, and all the sheep follow him. Okay, and so um, the sheep follow the shepherd's voice. And he didn't have to drive them, he just walked and they led because he had touched those sheep, he had cared for those sheep. And, but there's this watering hole that they need. Mm-hmm. They need water. You, they, they have to have water. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And I use this church, I, if you come to our church, you'll see me right outside the main entrance. It's harder now because we have multiple entrances, but I want to see people coming in. I want to know who's coming in. Here's what I know. I know they need water. If they don't have, if they're not coming for water, it means they're either dead or they reprioritized water out of their life. Either way, they're in danger. Are they committed to Jesus? We come together as a large group. They have their small groups. But I want to know who has reprioritized, because the Bible says this, Ezekiel 34 says, I curse the shepherds of Israel because they do not chase the strays. They do not bind up the hurting. They do not feed the sheep. They, they only take care of themselves. How many pastors actually know who their sheep are, whether they're there or they're not? Mm. And so the watering hole, I know they need water. And if they, they aren't coming for water, then I, it's my job to go, all right, let's go, let's go try to find them. Now, that doesn't mean, notice he doesn't say your job is to find and, and capture the strays. He says chase the strays because some of them will not be caught. But if you're not even chasing strays, because you don't even know who's a stray and who is it, then you're not really a shepherd according to the biblical standard. Right. <laughs> Make sense to you? Yes. One of the things that, that in real life, if they'll call all the missing. So what, what Jim is talking about is, yeah, as a, as a pastor, he's going to try to make a list of who he's seeing and who he's not. But we have a, a process where we have a volunteer team that we ask everybody, if you're there, great, fill out a card, you're here. If you're not, then you're going to hit our database. We're going to have a volunteer team end up calling you. When they call, it's the heart to call and go, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Not, you weren't in church. Does that make sense? It's not an attendance Nazi. It's how are you doing? Is everything going on? I mean, is everything okay? What's going on in your world? It's, it's, it's a shepherding call. And so, you know, Jim's taking that to heart. It's not just him trying to identify everybody, but a whole team to pull that off. Because then you have that many people. It takes a team. Um, here's a great question. Um, how do you move people from one stage to the other stage? So one stage of responsibility to the next. For instance, um, if you need small group leaders... Or minister leaders, do you have a, how do you, how do you move them? Um, do you have a leader meeting where they just kind of identify themselves? How do you how do you do that? How do you move people from one stage to the next? I think on the front end of that question, I don't think you can move anybody. Just like I, you, or I do not have the ability to bring somebody. We don't do the saving. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Our responsibility is to provide opportunity, to ask good questions, to challenge. So if we go back to the wheel and we see, for example, one of the critical steps in growth, and we even see it in the life of the disciples, is when they are connected with with the Lord, or we see people there connected, they're connected to others, the natural byproduct that the Holy Spirit does in their life is they start to want to be involved. They'll start asking, what can I do? How can I help? 
some people have been ministering to me. How do I serve others? They start because I'm listening to their language. So, to, so my part to help them move is to provide them a place to play, to give them an opportunity. It might be training. It might be allow them to apprentice in a group. It might be serving somewhere in the church, but giving them the opportunity. If you back up the wheel and you look at the spiritual infant, same type of thing. They're brand new in, in Christ. I explain to them, hey, you need people in your life, people around you. They start asking questions. I don't understand this stuff. What does the Bible mean? What does it say? They're asking. My job is to help provide answers, but help them connect. If the, if the infant's like, no, I don't want to be in a group. I'm afraid to. I don't want to. I cannot make them do that. Then, therefore, their ability to grow up spiritually as, as a child or young adult is not possible. So it's unhealthy. We talk about God's part, my part, their part. Right, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip could not get him saved. Right. Philip's job was to be obedient and be alongside the chariot and listen. Right. Yeah. And then when he asked questions, his job was to get in the chariot because he was invited and answer the questions. But we've got this mentality that we have to get people saved. It's garbage. Our job is to be who disciple makers, be there, listen, walk alongside people. That's God's job. It's us worrying about results instead of focusing on the process. Yeah. That's why the church is broken right now. And if we can focus in the process and stay there and stay in a healthy place and allow the Lord to use us yeah. and focus on that, right. then it stays healthy. We let God do his job. God moves people through the process. We don't have that ability. We like to think we do, but we don't. So, so when you see somebody that's changing, like uh, they're, they're in children, it's my group, my group, my group, I don't branch my group. Time goes by, you know, Jim, we might need to branch this group because I got three friends that I've been talking to about Jesus, and this group's getting too big for them. Mm -hmm. There's just a change that just happened, huh? Well, would you be interested in becoming an apprentice that helps me help us create a new group so that your friends can be involved? Oh, I'm scared. Well, you pray about it. I did that to Luke. <laughs> I said, Luke, how would you feel about maybe coaching? Well, what would I coach? You're the executive team on. Well, there's certain things you know how to do that we don't know how to do in Bible college and all the stuff that we, we didn't know how to do a lot of the stuff you knew how to do in business. Really? Yeah. Would you be interested in doing that? Um, I'm pretty busy. I got a big business. Well, just pray about it. I throw out an opportunity. Let's see what God does with it. He has to say yes. If he says yes, fine. If he says no, am I a failure? Make sense to you? So we provide opportunities. Uh, what's good is that when I was uh, leading a group, I was very nervous. But that was a place to play for a, a home group leader. So as I was leading the group, I botched it a lot of different times. And <laughs> the person that helped me gave me a lot of grace. So we just branched our group uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, one of our groups. And so Brad, just writing the story, is that, you know, Brad, you want to lead a group? And he, he's like, yeah, I'm ready. I am ready. You know, and so we branch our group. And some of the people from our group went to his group. And then some new people he didn't know came into his group. And right away, they started criticizing how he was leading the group. And so he's really frustrated and wants to quit. Okay? 
So I say this, that when you create a place to play, understand now the game starts as the coach. Do you understand? So now I've got to be there for Brad, and Brad's all struggling. I think it's kind of funny because he was criticizing. He, he forgot all of his comments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had fun with that, reminding him and quoting him. Oh, that was pure joy right there. <laughs> the Lord gives you a little presence like that, you know. <laughs> so anyway, just remember that. You create a place to play. When they jump in there, you've got to be be a coach you got to have time for them because they're going to flop and flail and that's part of them growing up true if you're not there they get injured and hurt and they ricochet out so to go from a child to a, a place to play when they're when they're now kingdom mindset and they're in their servant man it's it's a little rocky <laughs> oh no <laughs> I, I have grandkids right this isn't even actually about you but i was Good. the stupidest parent on the planet when my kids were teenagers <laughs> Oh, now, they call me all the time. <laughs> hey, Dad, what would you do with a seven-year-old? Well, why would you ask me, son? <laughs> I'm an idiot. Oh, no, Dad. Oh, no. See, this is a real good growth process for them. That's awesome. <laughs> so when it comes to the wheel, do you show your people or show the people the wheel and ask them, to self-identify, and if so, when and what and how. Yep. Yeah, we. That's our two hundred one class. We do our membership or partnership class. The second class is we walk through the wheel, the details of it, and it's heavy. Um, their own personal application, their own evaluation. We walk through it. it. Takes about an hour and a half. We do it once a month on Sundays, and uh, it's it's great because it helps people understand the language. We go through our definition of a disciple, and they self-reflect and self-evaluate where they're at, and uh, it's it's really effective. Here's one of the things that uh, we'll do in our group on the wheel. If it if we've journeyed for a little bit, and, and I happen to know everybody in the Lord, everybody in my group happens to know the Lord, I will definitely bring the wheel in and ask them and share with them because I want them to understand a couple different things. One, I want them to understand my role as a home group leader and part of my role is to disciple make sure discipleship is happening in that group it's not my role to disciple everybody in that group so i want to introduce the wheel ask them to kind of self-identify and then i want to talk about my role i want to introduce clearly the concept of disciple making and what is the disciple maker's role so I'm not asking them to pick the weight up and be this great disciple maker, but I'm definitely going to say, let's cast vision and journey together and figure this out. Okay, so that's a good tool to use if you know everybody knows the Lord and it's not going to be offensive. You have to have some relationship with them because nobody wants to self-identify as an infant, right? They can get kind of offended. So it's nice if you have some relationship before you pull that one out. Yep. All right. If, in your church, what is required to be a member, and is being a new disciple same as being a member? Yeah, in our church, in order to be a member, you have to take the one-on-one class, which is a one-on-one, two-on-one combination. And um, in that class, there's a covenant that says, I'm going to attend church, I'm going to be a giver, I'm going to get in the life group, I'm going to find my gifts and find a place to serve. So then my staff has a list of different things 
that are available. And we'll, we'll have like a little questionnaire, what have you done in the past? And then we take that and my staff will start trying to connect these people to the life groups if they aren't already in one or into places to serve. But then before they actually start to serve, if it's an official ministry, they go through 301 Covenant. And the 301 Covenant goes back through it again. And it's a yearly, a, a yearly class. So everything's built into seasons. So if it's children's ministry, let's say you, you, get, you want to work in children's ministry. We, we'll put you in children's ministry. Before you do that, here's the 301 and the covenant that we're asking you to do. You're in a life group. This doesn't take the place of a life group. You're giving. You're going to be in church. So if you're going to work in children's ministry, you'll go to second service. You'll either be in first or third. Right? You're going to be in church service. We want every believer to be connected in the body of Christ. Coming to church services uh, in a life group. Um, and so you'll, uh, you'll go and you'll be a children's minister. Then at the summer, there's a break. And then we will start up again in the fall. You'll go back through the 301 again. Every year you're part of our church. Whatever time you start, the first time, you'll go through 301. But it's all built in seasons. Why do we do the 301 over and over again? Well, because people forget. How many times have you done a one-on-one -on -one class seven years ago, and they don't even remember what they signed or what they said or what they committed to? Mm. If you do it every year for people who are serving, it just keeps it in front of them. And what we've noticed is the key to learning is repetition. When they are hearing this every year, pretty soon we say, would you do me a favor? Would you help teach this class? They start being able to communicate the 301 material. Right? And so it, it, it's just, it's every year. You're going to be a member. You're committing to do these things. And here's the deal. If you're a member and you're working in children's ministry, but you're not in a life group, then the children's ministry person is go, hey, if you're not going to be in a life group, then I... I can't have you serving in children's ministry. You understand what I'm saying? Well, okay, my job changed. I'm in swing shift now. Okay, then let's find you a women's Bible study on Tuesday mornings at 8 o'clock. Where even our Bible studies are really geared around relationships. So it's called a Bible study, but there'll be the component of relationship at every part. Make sense to you? Brandon, how would you adapt that since you're just starting out, you don't have a billion life groups at all different everything, right. and you also don't have just, you know, you don't have all that stuff. Right. How, how do you adapt that to your situation? Just the process as a whole? Of yes, how do you adapt that process to your smaller, more meager, just starting out, don't have, you, you know, classes? all of no, yeah, how do you adapt, adapt the classes, what you teach, how you go, or what you go over Yeah, the one-on-one and, and the, the partnership. To, to that, and even what you do. It's yeah. like even what he just said, you might not have a Tuesday, 8 o'clock morning life group right. to fit anyone into. Right. So <clears throat> what we do, is it's, it's very similar. It is just on a smaller scale. We do our one-on-one -on -one partnership, membership class um, once a month, and we do 201 twice a month. Um, we do something even... I think another step further than in Post Falls that we've worked on, and we can because it's easy to move. We do a leadership covenant, a 301, but then we do a 400 series that is pretty intensive small group leader training. It's easier for us to do that. They, they do they do their mini DS1 stuff in their church. Ours is just even more focused. Um, so we, we execute on those things, same time a month and all of that. We don't have as many groups to funnel people to, but we do have groups. We put people in in what we have. We're just getting, we just branched 
yeah. bunch of new groups. We're going to be branching again before Christmas. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's not a ton different. It's just a little smaller scale. Thank you. Cool. You know, I just want to say as we close and wrap things up, I want to say uh, thank you guys for coming. And Brandon, Jim, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. And, I'd like to just close us in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, um, help each of us be the disciple makers you want us to be. Lord, these are uh, your people from all over the country, all over the world. Help us be united in being about your business. And Lord, it is an honor, an absolute honor to get to serve you, to be on your team. And uh, please give us uh, encouragement, discernment, wisdom as we walk out being and making disciples of you, Lord. So thank you for the opportunity and creating a place for uh, us to play. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to check out the free ebook, Stay the Course, at discipleship.org slash rdn. You'll find dozens of other great free discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.